0: Chapter 2, Parts 1, 2, and 3 of God, the Invisible King. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by T. Michael Burke. God, the Invisible King by H. G. Wells. Chapter 2. Heresies or Things that God is Not. Part 1. Heresies are misconceptions of God. Religion is not a plant that has grown from one seed. It is like a lake that has been fed by countless springs. It is a great pool of living water, mingled from many sources and tainted with much impurity. It is synthetic in its nature. It becomes simpler from original complexities. The sediment subsides. A life perfectly adjusted to its surroundings is a life without mentality. No judgment is called for, no inhibition, no disturbance in the instinctive flow of perfect reactions. Such a life is bliss or nirvana. It is unconsciousness below dreaming. Consciousness is discord evoking the will to adjust. It is inseparable from need. At every need consciousness breaks into being imperfect adjustments, needs, are the rents and tatters in the smooth dark veil of being through which the light of consciousness shines, the light of consciousness and will of which God is the sun. So that every need of human life, every disappointment and dissatisfaction and call for help and effort, is a means whereby men may and do come to the realization of God. There is no cardinal need, There is no sort of experience in human life from which there does not come, or has not come, a contribution to men's religious ideas. At every challenge men have to put forth effort, feel doubt of adequacy, be thwarted, perceive the chill shadow of their mortality. At every challenge comes the possibility of help from without, the idea of eluding frustration, the aspiration towards immortality. It is possible to classify the appeals men make for God under the headings of their chief system of effort, their efforts to understand, their fear and their struggles for safety and happiness, the craving of their restlessness for peace, their angers against disorder and their desire for the avenger, their sexual passions and perplexities. Each of these great systems of needs and efforts brings its own sort of sediment into religion. Each, that is to say, has its own kind of heresy, its distinctive misapprehension of God. It is only in the synthesis and mutual correction of many divergent ideas that the idea of God grows clear. The effort to understand completely, for example, leads to the endless heresies of theory. Men trip over the inherent infirmities of the human mind. But in these days, one does not argue greatly about dogma almost every conceivable error about unity about personality about time and quantity and genus and species about begetting and beginning and limitation and similarity and every kink in the difficult mind of man has been thrust forward in some form of dogma beside the errors of thought are the errors of emotion fear and feebleness go straight to the heresies that god is magic or that god is providence restless egotism at leisure and unchallenged by urgent elementary realities breeds the heresies of mysticism anger and hate call for god's judgments and the stormy emotions of sex gave mankind the phallic god those who find themselves possessed by the new spirit in religion realize very speedily the necessity of clearing the mind of all these exaggerations transferences and overflows of feeling THE SEARCH FOR DIVINE TRUTH IS LIKE GOLD-WASHING. NOTHING IS OF ANY VALUE UNTIL MOST HAS BEEN SWEPT AWAY. PART 2 HERESIES OF SPECULATION ONE SORT OF HERESIES STANDS APART FROM THE REST. IT IS INFINITELY THE MOST VARIOUS SORT. IT INCLUDES ALL THOSE HERESIES WHICH RESULT FROM WRONG-HEADED MENTAL ELABORATION, AS DISTINGUISHED FROM THOSE WHICH ARE THE RESULT OF HASTY AND IMPERFECT APPREHENSION. The heresies of the clever rather than the heresies of the obtuse. The former are of endless variety and complexity. The latter are in comparison natural simple confusions. The former are the errors of the study. The latter the superstitions that spring by the wayside or are brought down to us in our social structure out of a barbaric past. To the heresies of thought and speculation belong the elaborate doctrine of the Trinity dogmas about god's absolute qualities such odd deductions as the accepted christian teachings about the virginity of mary and joseph and the like all these things are parts of orthodox christianity yet none of them did christ even by the christian account expound or recommend he treated them as negligible it was left for the alexandrians for alexander for little, red-haired, busy, wire-pulling Athanasius to find out exactly what their master was driving at, three centuries after their master was dead. Men still sit at little desks, remote from God or life, and rack their inadequate brains to meet fancied difficulties and state-unnecessary perfections. They seek God by logic, ignoring the marginal error that creeps into every syllogism their conceit blinds them to the limitations upon their thinking they weave spider-like webs of muddle and disputation across the path by which men come to god it would not matter very much if it were not that simpler souls are caught in these webs every great religious system in the world is choked by such webs each system has its own of all the blood-stained tangled heresies which make up doctrinal christianity and imprison the mind of the western world to-day not one seems to have been known to the nominal founder of christianity jesus christ never certainly claimed to be the messiah never spoke clearly of the trinity was vague upon the scheme of salvation and the significance of his martyrdom we are asked to suppose that he left his apostles without instructions That were necessary to their eternal happiness, that he could give them the Lord's Prayer, but leave them to guess at the all important creed, and that the Church staggered along blindly, putting its foot in and out of damnation, until the experts of Nicaea, that garland of priests, marshalled by Constantine's officials, came to its rescue. From the conversion of Paul onward, the heresies of the intellect multiplied about Christ's memory and hid him from the sight of men we are no longer clear about the doctrine he taught nor about the things he said and did even the apostle's creed is not traceable earlier than the fourth century it is manifestly an old patched formulary rutinius explains that it was not written down for a long time but transmitted orally kept secret and used as a sort of password among the elect We are all so weary of this theology of the Christians, we are all at heart so skeptical about their triune God, that it is needless here to spend any time or space upon the twenty thousand different formulae in which the Orthodox have attempted to believe in something of the sort. There are several useful encyclopedias of sects and heresies, compact but still bulky, to which the curious may go. There are ten thousand different expositions of Orthodoxy, no one who really seeks god thinks of the trinity either the trinity of the trinitarian or the trinity of the sibelian or the trinity of the arian any more than one thinks of those theories made stone those gods with three heads and seven hands who sit on lotus leaves and flourish lingams and what not in the temples of india let us leave therefore these morbid elaborations of the human intelligence to drift to limbo and come rather to the natural heresies that spring from fundamental weaknesses of the human character and which are common to all religions against these it is necessary to keep constant watch they return very insidiously part three god is not magic one of the most universal of these natural misconceptions of god is to consider him as something magic serving the ends of men it is not easy for us to grasp at first the full meaning of giving our souls to god the missionary and teacher of any creed is all too apt to hawk god for what he will fetch he is greedy for the poor triumph of acquiescence and so it comes about that many people who have been led to believe themselves religious are in reality still keeping back their own souls and trying to use god for their own purposes god is nothing more for them as yet than a magnificent fetish they did not really want him but they have heard that he is potent stuff their unripe souls think to make use of him they call upon his name they do certain things that are supposed to be peculiarly influential with him such as saying prayers and repeating gross praises of him or reading in that blind industrious way that strange miscellany of jewish and early christian literature the bible and such like mental mortification or making the sabbath dull and uncomfortable in return for these fetishistic propitiations god is supposed to interfere with the normal course of causation in their favor he becomes a celestial log-roller he remedies unfavourable accidents cures petty ailments contrives unexpected gifts of medicine money or the like he averts bankruptcies arranges profitable transactions and does a thousand such services for his little clique of faithful people the pious are represented as being constantly delighted by these little surprises these bouquets and chocolate boxes from the divinity or contrawise, he contrives spiteful turns for those who fail in their religious attentions. He murders Sabbath-breaking children, or disorganizes the careful business schemes of the ungodly. He is represented as going Sabbath-breakering on Sunday morning as a Staffordshire worker goes ratting. Ordinary everyday Christianity is saturated with this fetishistic conception of God it may be disowned in the hibbert journal but it is unblushingly advocated in the parish magazine it is an idea taken over by christianity with the rest of the qualities of the hebrew god it is natural enough in minds so self-centred that their recognition of weakness and need brings with it no real self-surrender but is entirely inconsistent with the modern conception of the true god there has been dropped upon the table as i write a modest periodical called the Northern British Israel Review, illustrated with portraits of various clergymen of the Church of England, and of ladies and gentlemen who belong to the little school of thought which this magazine represents. It is, I should judge, a subsect entirely within the established Church of England, that is to say within the Anglican communion of the Trinitarian Christians it contains among other papers a very entertaining summary by a gentleman entitled i cite the unusual title-page of the periodical landseer mackenzie esq of the views of isaiah ezekiel and obadiah upon the kaiser william they are distinctly hostile views mr landseer mackenzie discourses not only upon these anticipatory condemnations but also upon the relations of the weather to this war he is convinced quite simply and honestly that god has been persistently rigging the weather against the germans he points out that the absence of mist on the north sea was of great help to the british in the autumn of nineteen fourteen and declares that it was the wet state of the country that really held up the germans in flanders in the winter of nineteen fourteen fifteen he ignores the part played by the weather in delaying the relief of kut el amara and he has not thought of the difficult question of why the deity having once decided upon intervention did not instead of this comparatively trivial meteorological assistance adopt the more effective course of for example exploding or spoiling the german stores of ammunition by some simple atomic miracle or misdirecting their gunfire by a sudden local modification of the laws of refraction or gravitation since these views come from anglican vicarages i can only conclude that this kind of belief is quite orthodox and permissible in the established church and that i am charging orthodox christianity here with nothing that has ever been officially repudiated i find indeed the essential assumptions of mr landseer mackenzie repeated in endless official christian utterances on the part of german and british and russian divines the Bishop of Chelmsford, for example, has recently ascribed our difficulties in the war to our impatience with long sermons, among other similar causes. Such Christians are manifestly convinced that God can be invoked by ritual, for example by special days of national prayer or an increased observance of Sunday, or made malignant by neglect or levity. It is almost fundamental in their idea of Him, The ordinary Mohammedan seems as confident of this magic pettiness of God, and the belief of China in the magic propitiations and resentments of heaven is at least equally strong. But the true God, as those of the new religion know Him, is no such God of luck and intervention. He is not to serve men's ends, or the ends of nations, or associations of men. He is careless of our ceremonies and invocations he does not lose his temper with our follies and weaknesses it is for us to serve him he captains us he does not coddle us he has his own ends for which he needs us end of chapter 2 parts 1 2 and 3 recording by t michael burke spokenwordcreation.com